Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. When you hear the word textiles, anyone who went through the American public school system knows one term and one term only, and that is Eli fucking Whitney, the inventor of the cotton gin. But it turns out the textile industry starts a long time ago, has effects on every facet of life, and there's a lot more to it than the American invention of the cotton gin. So before we get into that, we're going to get through the history, we're going to get through what clothes are made out of, how, what, how how that raw material is produced, what we do to it to make it into clothes, how it gets to where it's going, and a bunch more. Mike, how are you doing? What are you drinking? I'm doing fantastic. I'm happy we're talking about this. This is an iceberg topic where you don't really know, you only, people only know a little bit until they dive deeper and then all you realize, oh my God, this affects the world. And plus, I'm drinking some Maker's Mark, so I'm always feeling good. How about you, my friend? How you doing? What are you drinking? Oh, I got some dead guy ale here another thing mike i don't know if you ran across this but this is a episode ripe for puns so i'm sure this is why you picked this one i'll be honest i have not thought or came across any puns and my mind is fiercely working very hard right now to come up with the right type of uh right type of puns i gotta i gotta be careful with this this is this is dangerous i don't want to overdo it and don't want to underdo it so the textile industry i guess what are we should break down what textiles are or maybe what we're talking about. Textiles have changed throughout time. They might be different categories, but for the most part, they are a material that is worn or used. And now I say used for important reason, because textiles aren't just used for the clothes on your back. Granted, our ancestors were turning bear pelts and beaver pelts into cloth to wear to keep warm during winter months. But we were also turning them into blankets. And eventually, fast forward, which we'll get to, it, they turn them into pleather for cars. Textiles come in a large range, from the socks on your feet to the blankets and quilts to the material that makes up your couch. Hell, even some materials are being used to make insulation foam, make insulation material out of old textiles. So textiles is a very broad statement, in my opinion. Yeah, it's... Uh... Any kind of fabric, pretty much. I mean, paint a, a broad stroke, but you got a pretty good idea. Of, I mean, generally, we're going to be talking a lot about clothing because I think that's what the majority of textiles go into. That's what we use a lot. But you know, we use it in like what, like what Mike said, in everything from you know couches to car seats to blankets, rags for the kitchen, rags for the shop, whatever it is. There's a fabric. There's a textile that goes into that. So. When did we start using textiles, clothing? So what we th- there's it's not uh, you know not everyone agrees on it, but 170,000 years ago, there's the uh, lice that get on the human body diverged genetically from the head lice, and the body lice lives in clothing, and the head lice lives on your your head, and so there's evidence that 170,000 years ago, people were using some sort of clothing to make those lice species split apart. Um, and for reference, that's uh, before humans left Africa, which would be, you know, I, I feel like that's pretty reasonable. We probably needed clothes to 
to leave Africa. It gets cold um, at night <laughs> and, and, and different regions. It gets definitely cold at night. Yeah. And so for sure, we can say at 50,000 years ago, we had some sort of textiles because that's when the oldest sewing needles have been discovered. And they were discovered in Siberia. And then there's another one that we're not entirely certain if it's a sewing needle because it's not complete from 60,000 years ago. And then there's a lot more that come after that that are found all in that like kind of eastern part of the world of uh, russia china area and uh but that's that seems like where the sewing needle may have originated from not entirely certain but at least be conservative Fifty thousand years ago we had sewing needles so that's that's a lot of time to sew a lot of time to sew indeed i mean i'm not quite sure when humanity started losing its fur from our ape ancestors into the humanoid form we are but to take the skin off the animal we've killed, to to think that far ahead and turn that into a material that we can use to help protect ourselves. I mean, it's very, it's not rare. It is rare. It's not, it's not very common though for other animals to use other animals for their necessity. So to do that, holy crap, is that impressive. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's, again, not everything possible was used for clothing, but... The, I guess that'd be the earliest. I was going to say the latest, but the latest would be stuff we're making. So the earliest uh, fibers with dye in it, you know, to change the, the color, were found in Georgia 36,000 years ago. I'm very so, surprised it's in Georgia, not the cradle of life, the Egypt's Middle East region, which the Hymnites and Egyptians would explore. I'm surprised it's Georgia. Well, I think that's... That's not the United States of Georgia. No, Georgia is north of Turkey near... Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's still kind of close to the... It's close, but still, it's a colder region. This is It's a, extremely impressive to me, because when I think early civilization, I always think cradle of life. Yeah. Well, I mean, sewing needles were found in Siberia, because that's where it's fucking cold. You need... <laughs> don't don't necessarily... Don't invade Russia without your winter clothes. Don't necessarily need all that fancy clothing when it doesn't get that cold out uh and then one of the first examples of an actual like clothing being depicted in a figure is from france it's a twenty-five thousand year old figure and it had essentially like a skirt um with some kind of belt we think around the the figure and uh so that was like okay so now we know we for sure have clothes so that's where we're at so i'm gonna disagree with that uh you said 2500 years ago Yes. From the research I came across, the hieroglyphics had depicting of different clothing for different status depending on where you are in the Egyptian hierarchy. So priests wearing certain clothes, the uh, different rituals having different clothes, the, uh, I guess, royalty at the time wearing different clothes. That's the earliest I saw that was in modern society in confirming that we had different fashion and clothes. Uh if I remember correctly, that's 3100 BC, 3000 BC, which would predate the France one, even though France is definitely solidified with fashion. We'll get into that later, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I saw... Nice try, France. Yeah, not, eh, close, with no cigar. I saw I saw Egypt. I was just wondering if uh, that lined it up with information you saw. Um, I mean, this this is something that I just kind of glanced at, so I'm I'm not surprised. Because I, I could see it. I just didn't, I didn't have it listed. So, 
Yep. Uh, with that being said, uh, I know the Egypts, the Egyptians weren't the first powerhouse in the area. You have the Himalites from earlier, but Egyptians had the most recorded data, which is easier to sustain and confirm the area of the time. So there are probably cultures that had clothing beforehand but the egyptians were the first to make it easy to confirm with the hieroglyphics just wanted to point that out there yeah no completely get that so i didn't really have anything else on the uh that old history of when we had this when we had that but i did want to talk about why textiles is important historically please i can jump in uh i have something that's a little bit farther in history but i think it'd be perfect with yours so like mike you talked about how different castes i wasn't sure i can't remember exactly what term you used but different levels in the society wore different clothing and i think that's been the case since probably the the very beginning like you're saying uh so different materials are worth more and represented such you know we know in uh in rome purple was the color of uh, luxury and basically only you can only wear purple when you're returning general coming back from a successful campaign and then certain economic standards fun fact uh that purple stuff smells horrible i believe it's made from either sea urchins or oysters and it smells wretched because you have to mix it with urine pretty much to get that color nice but you it's well that's important because it's expensive which is essentially what most of these upper level garments were and people traveled far and wide to get all sorts of different interesting textiles so they could basically show off their wealth, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the most important of these is one of the most important trade routes in the world historically was probably the Silk Road, which connected all the big, like you're talking about the cradle of civilization with China in Rome and basically just helped facilitate the trade of goods and it was called the silk road because what did a lot of people want silk silk yes which as t- each it seems like each time period has a specific good that we're after you know the english were after spices and refused to use them but for the longest time everyone was after silk because it's it's soft it's luxurious it's light i mean it's it's silky it's still today it's a very uh sought after textile but in the pursuit of that people created this created maps, created trade routes, opened up, looked for new areas to get silk, traveled the world trying to find it. And just the pursuit of one of, of this good created such such a boom in trade that it just, it's it made the world smaller. Money makes the world go round. And as we all talk throughout the podcast, there's probably very few things that make the money come in as much as clothing and textiles. But something I also want to point out with the historical and modern, the textile industry is also driven on functionality. So for the, in the early days with Greek armor being made out of leather or fast forward to the Middle Ages with made of linen, all these different materials also driven, like how function is it? How well can it hold water? How well, how well is it water resistant? These are all important factors. But the silk, I mean, Marco Polo didn't just go over there for a good time. He went over there for an adventure and to find trade routes. He just happened to find a good time. <laughs> but yes, I mean, Silk Road was probably the beginning way before. I mean, definitely predated the medieval ages, uh, at least a portion of it. But if I could fast forward a little bit, Nick, to the 1700s, if you don't mind. 
Yeah, I mean, everything between what we talked about and then is probably useless anyway. Useless? I don't have, any, I don't have anything, so ah. <laughs> really nothing that crazy happened. Well, in the 1700s, well, beginning of 1600s, but the 1700s is definitely more defined, royalty helped bring back the fashion trends. So whatever the royalty was wearing, everyone wanted to wear. Now, this was common throughout history, but I saw a significant increase at least in my personal research, of this happening during these time frames, whether it be more middle-class merchants, et cetera, et cetera, having more money to mimic the rich. But the stories that come out of it, I mean, with Marie Antoinette alone, just where one thing in the entire country is wearing it, it created the fashion trend. It wasn't just about your class anymore. It wasn't just about your position or what you could afford. But from what I saw from the Renaissance upward, it was the beginning of fashion trends. So whatever was in season, whether it be hats, heels, shoes. Oh, fun fact. Men used to wear high heels to seem taller, more proud but it's eventually switched sexes where females were more common to wear high heels. It's very fascinating. I wear off topic. But this is the first introduction of fashion for clothing and textiles. So it went from being functional, like having rugs, blankets, you know, making sure I don't freeze in Siberia to, oh, well, this season it's flowers. In this season, it's having potato flowers on my dress. In this season, it's about having yellows and reds. This was the beginning of the fashion industry. So the English are to blame. The French. The French. The Europe f- is to blame. Yes, Europe is 100% to blame. I'm not going to say it didn't happen in other countries, but the more prominent and widespreading, at least fast widespreading, I saw was in Europe. So blame Italy and France. Europe was uh, definitely in the way in making fashion a commodity rather than a functionality. So they they brought us fashion and the Christmas tree. <laughs> yep, that's uh. I guess, so I, so I guess that's the argument pro monarchy. Sure, well, that's a that's a stretch, but I back I'll back you up any day of the week. <laughs> All right. So with the Renaissance and leading the 1700s and onward came the fashion industry. And the fashion industry, quickly widespread, going from America, well, at this time, the colonies, which bled into the 19th century, across Asia, across Africa, across Australia, when they sent the prisoners there. It fashion quickly spread as being a commerce rather than only for the rich. Then we start getting to the 19th 20s and things got booming the industrial revolution just passed making mass-produced things and people had some extra change in their pockets and they wanted to buy stuff boy was fashion faster than the changing of the seasons nearly every three months there's a different fashion thing happening whether it be by celebrity because now it'd be the first time you have wide-sprung celebrities it's uh boy did fashion and textiles take a different commercialized turn in the 1920s onward yeah that was a rapidly changing time in american history but i think um i don't know if we want to go back to i want to talk about just how much fashion helped spur the industrial revolution perfect get into it okay so i think in probably like 50 percent of our podcast we talk about how the industrial revolution really changed everything across the world but is largely driven by inventions in or new inventions in the textile industry from 
uh, from new mechanized looms to water wheels and steam engines. Uh, Clothing production was able to move from, you know, so like uh, someone's wife making clothing in their house to large factories, people working all day and kids working little hands, you know, can get that, uh, what's the word for it? That little thing that goes back and forth anyway. Well, I want to point uh, out here, uh, this is very important to note. You all might buy a blanket for 20 bucks at Target. The back then to make a new blanket, to stitch a new quilt, I don't even want to know the hours to hand sew a new quilt. That's a, that is a rough thing to do hours upon end. And just to make like a t-shirt back, like, I don't think people realized the difference the Industrial Revolution made with machinery and tighter looms. Yeah, so you had a better produced product that was cheaper, which a lot of people didn't like, uh, you know, see the Luddites, but, um, you know, people's way of life changed. People went from living independently to living together in large towns and working for a bunch of people living in uh, company towns. It completely changed just the the industrialization of the world at that point completely changed and was largely driven by the textile industry, including the fact that because the, the increased demand for workers, a lot of women went into the workforce at that time, which is uh, not like a new, not a new concept uh, or sorry, it was completely a new concept, which may seem normal to us today, but it was not in the past. Not that it made it normal at that point but this is the beginning of that but just the fact of we started churning out all these clothes and people were buying these clothes it it drove all these changes in our society much like the silk road connecting all of or most of asia and, and europe together the industrial revolution brought americans and europeans all the industrialized nations from spread out farms to more centralized cities because that's where the work was now. It went from hand-sewn to machine-sewn, which, one, increases quality. I like, again, the looms. Um, so in the movies, to just relate to this to the audience, uh, when you rip, like, when you see the movies, like, uh, The Patriot or something like that, where they rip off their sleeve, it's because there wasn't a lot of fabric tying each other. It's a lot harder to do that nowadays because everything's sewn tight together. It's so, the cloth material is so interwoven, it makes it hard to rip it apart so that's why in the movies they're able to do that there's a little truth in hollywood which is strange but this always this doesn't i I just thought it was just because mel gibson was so strong (laughs) ha ha no 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 no. uh (laughs) but this industrial revolution also made it so i wasn't making a quilt every four or five months i don't know how long it makes it takes to make a quilt to making a quilt a day if if probably even quicker depending on the factory being built in that's a huge turnaround which also makes it cheaper which also makes it more affordable which also helps make the population bloom so imagine you're cold poor and you can't afford blankets to keep yourself warm at night you're gonna die and all of a sudden now you can form blankets that's gonna that's a game changer i mean what's the three fundamentals of living food water and shelter or is it or is it four is it food water shelter and clothing because boy does clothing make a big difference i really should know that but can't remember it i'm gonna go with the four because to not have clothing like rob i don't think people realize how hard it is to walk a forest without shoes to spend a 
even a summer night without shirt and pants, it gets cold at night, ladies and gentlemen. It can drop 20 degrees. That's that's the difference of living and dying, of having a warm blanket. And especially back then during the Industrial Revolution, when insulation wasn't the best, clothing changed the game. It made people's lives better. Oh, yeah. And it allowed us to do more and go better, go more places. I mean, from the beginning of when we expanded... Oh, out of when we when the human race moved out of places it's you know we needed fire and clothing to stay warm and as we got better clothing we were able to go more and more places even today most of us aren't going outside and for extended periods of time in in the winter if you live somewhere where it snows without you know what does your mom always say you got to put have your layers on you know you need your your shirt and then you have to have your like fleece and then you put on your winter jacket and yeah it's a whole thing we didn't have that back then. And all those clothes cost a lot more. Well, they cost a lot more, but I'll, I would argue they're higher quality at the same time. We'll get into that later. But Nick, even though fashion, clothing, and the technology to make clothing has changed throughout the ages, it kind of goes back to the fundamentals on how to get that material to turn it into textiles. And unfortunately, it's back to the world of plants and trees, your favorite. You can't get away from agriculture no matter how much we try. Just send me to Mars and wash me. And you'd starve to death without it. We literally went over this, Mike. Let me dream, goddammit. You just eat other people, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's not the worst idea. but It's not the best idea. I've done worse. Uh, but going back to an old plant, an old culture that has been throughout many, many generations. In fact, it might be a very early form of clothing. Cotton, cotton, a plant that has people have gone to war for. Why? Clothes, textiles. Textiles have caused wars. And in today's industry, it's causing water slash slave labor slash a whole slew of other things. And it's expensive to grow cotton for clothes. And I don't mean just money-wise. I mean, for water, like I was mentioning, it takes about... 2,700 liters of water to grow one cotton shirt. That's a lot of water, Nick. Yeah, I'm I'm always skeptical of those water use studies, though. I don't know. I, I'm not saying that yours is wrong. I just know that a lot of it's kind of loaded. Like the most famous one that talks about uh, water use for cows, they just, uh, so if you say you have like, you know, you're, you're going to have 10 cows on 100 acres. They just said, what's the average rainfall for this area and they're like well divided by 10 so each cow uses like 500 gallons of water or something it's just like not all that water is used by the the cow that's ridiculous but it's i don't know i've seen a lot of but it's kind of it's the same as uh like the energy studies where it's like not it's not i don't know well to me it makes sense for cotton is it is cotton irrigated i thought it was a dry land crop from what i see it's both so depending on the region it's grown, pretty much comes down to what it is. And the average harvest yield per heca acre is between two to four tons. So that's what, 4,000 to 9,000 pounds, something something in that? Of, of cotton. So that's like a big, I mean, I, I don't just, what, what holds that? Right, like, because it's cotton's light. Yeah, but I imagine it's like that's like that when someone's like, "What weighs more, a ton of oh eggs or a ton of feathers or 
It's like, that's like a large, I'm not, I'm just like thinking out loud for myself because I'm having trouble visualizing a ton of, like an actual ton of cotton. Well, I imagine it's about a shipping container because you can compress cotton very tightly. That's true. So I imagine it's probably a stand, like a ton of cotton is probably can fit inside a shipping container. But what I was trying to get at was, I don't know the efficiency of a cotton plant on how many how many flowers it has that turn into cotton to graft and control. So the reason why it might be a thirsty plant is because to make one shirt might take a lot of cotton. So to grab, to make a shirt off one cotton would take a lot of seasons, a lot of water. But if you have acres upon acres of it, it might be more cost effective. So there is a asterisk with that 2,700 liters of water to grow one cotton shirt, but that 2,700 liters might be spread off across multiple plants, which makes far more sense to me. I mean, just, I have no data, but I'm just thinking of the, like a a medium shirt in like a cotton plant. And if I had to guess, I'd say it's probably like uh, 75 plants to make one shirt. I don't know. I guess it depends how, maybe less. I'm just thinking of like the rows of cotton and I guess I don't know how much of that that's on the plant gets put into the shirt and how much is discarded as waste. Well, just to throw something out there, I don't know if these figures are actually correct. Just like my figure, which, like I said, I completely made that up. So, well, at least at least we're honest. Um, so a large T-shirt takes five for all right for a kilogram of cotton. You may get five to six medium t-shirts, four to five large t-shirts, depending on sizes, because sizes change per what company's making it. I think is if I if I'm reading this quick thing I Googled, which already there makes me feel very questionable on what I Googled. But uh yeah. So a kilogram for for four t-shirts will go on the lesser end. And if you ton, you know what, Nick? I don't want to do math. We're just gonna we're just gonna move on. Yep, that seems good to me because I don't want to do math either. Well, to throw out some numbers to seem like we're still doing math, but not really doing math. Nick, your world, trees. Did you know that there are seventy million trees cut down every year for the fiber for clothes? Um, no. Is that they're cutting down cellulose? Uh, yes. What are they making it out of? Uh, cellulose, they're also using it as, a, I think, a binder for other textile industries. Um, but, Nick, trees, they are sure jack-of-all-trades. There's not much you can't use a tree for. It's been that way since the beginning of time. It's not going to stop being true now. Well, if petroleum keeps going on, it might be. But, uh, yeah. Uh, that's just that's just, that's just just old trees. So. <laughs> Touche. Checkmate. Touche. <laughs> The original old growth. I, I did want to talk about how silk is made because it's kind of cool. Oh, the worms and the shells? Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, so silk is made kind of how it was made, you know, in the past with silk worms. And I, I think everyone kind of knew that. But it's just crazy to think that we are still getting like a the super expensive fabric from like an actual worm, like insects. But uh, so they make have the silkworms lay eggs and then they hatch into larva and then the larva get put into like a container where they um you know kind of transition to a caterpillar the caterpillar stage and then they just start eating and they eat mulberry leaves 
which is the only food that they will eat. So you can't get anything else. That's they eat mulberry leaves and that's it. You know, they're like a like a kindergartner. It's chicken nuggets or bust. <laughs> and they have to be kept the the leaves have to be kept like moist, wet, um otherwise they won't eat them. They're very picky. And then once they leave the larva caterpillar stage, they um molt, you know, like we learn about how like uh how's a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. So it it you know sheds its skin and gets bigger and then um and then it will turn into a pupa and by the point that the larva slash caterpillar is ready to turn into a pupa they're very small but it will have eaten its uh, body weight fifty thousand times over boy talk about someone who's got the munchies yeah but i mean if you talk about like a large operation that's a lot of biomass that needs to be eaten for these insects so they make a cocoon and then once they're in the cocoon they go to like another tray kind of area housing component component and uh and then they sit in there at like carefully controlled humidity you know like a fine uh cigar cigar. (laughs) yep (laughs) and then they start spinning the silk around their bodies and then each cocoon or each silkworm has like a different color silk so that's how you get like the white to the yellow silk um but it's the white silk is the more artificial ones that have been bred to do that because yellow is more natural because that helps them blend in from predators in the wild. Um, but because we've you know bred these silkworms to more more to be bred to breed to to create the white silk that that's if it's like a commercial silk farm it's gonna be the white silk and that's because you know the white silk is easier to dye. You know, you're not to create a a blue dye of silk. You add blue. If it's yellow, you have to do the whole like Roy G. Biv thing and add this and that. Um, so that's why white silk is is wanted. And uh, yeah, and then they turn into a silk moth. And then they um, then the once they leave the cocoon, the cocoons are boiled, and then they're stretched. Yeah. Stretched, yeah. So I mean, it's it, I don't know. This is pretty crazy, you know. And there's a lot of create like crazy. Like another one that I saw is an experimental textile. They're using mycelium, or it's not mycelium, mycorrhiza, which is a mushroom that helps every plant root has mycorrhiza. It basically doubles the surface area of the root to allow them to breathe, not breathe, but take in oxygen better. And they're trying to use that. And that seems more believable than this whole insect silk moth thing. I don't know. It might just be me. Well, Nick, you're, this is a little off topic, but you're super fascinated with World War II, um, as am I. Uh, the silk farms that the Japanese used to have in the Pacific, very basic at, to, to, it's almost like a grid system. What was interesting is they were somewhat defensible positions because U.S. troops were sent in to destroy some silk farms the Japanese were using to sustain them because, well, six of, silk is a valuable commodity. I mean, my grandfather, who fought in the Pacific, goes, yeah, silks was silkworms are weird because all these little white maggots were just crawling around eating stuff, and uh, they were worth millions of dollars this entire couple acres. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, that's... Uh... And I think it's just crazy how 
textiles are just woven into the history of the world and we just all kind of take it for granted like oh yeah obviously we need clothes but it's like there's a lot of little weird parts of history that have been driven by the textile industry something right underneath our noses i wager that textile has had a more impact on the world than gold this is my educated guess but gold is something you want textiles are something you need it's like food i imagine more wars have been fought or one or food has more impact on society than gold has and i imagine textiles have too i'd completely agree but it's just because it's so common that i don't think people i don't think we ever bat an eye at it i mean just think about how woven into our culture textiles is. Ah, besides woven got that's a good one <laughs> yeah i was gonna say besides um how you know fashion's a huge part of our culture but just think of the words we use such as woven into our culture like weaving in and out of traffic um hit the needle on the head like these are all he took everything in the shirt off your back yeah i mean these are all textile things i mean i think you know like weaving in and out of traffic is one where it's like oh shit i guess that is textile related you never know because because i i do not weave clothing like <laughs> but uh it's just terms that I think at one point in time, most people would understand it. You know, everyone understands exactly what you're talking about it, but the origin of that phrase is lost because none of us weave. But there's a point in our society's time when everyone did. So that makes a lot more sense. I don't know. It's just like like we talked about, woven into history. There's just a lot of uh, little things like that when when researching textiles that I came across where I was like, Oh, yeah, I guess I never really thought about that. Well, Nick, let me weave you a story of how the textile industry is still affecting modern culture. And it's going to take a dark turn. India, China, Colombia, Bangladesh, United States, Europe, Ghana, all filled with dark history and modern things that are happening right now underneath our noses that if brought to the light, we are disgusted by. We all know they're happening. Something so woven into our society that we just don't think about anymore. Sweatshops. Sweatshops so horrible that the companies make the women take birth control so they don't get pregnant and go on maternity leave. Companies so horrible that when employees ask for a higher wage or better conditions, they lock all the doors in and bring in men with bats and sticks to beat them. But make sure not to hit their face or hands, only the ribs and legs to leave bruises to sew. No, you can't do this. You have to do what we say. Keep working. I don't know how or when the world world switched from craftsmen and the Industrial Revolution even, making products that are quality, that quickly turned into slave labor. Yes, conditions were hard and horrible during the Industrial Revolution, but unions formed and Different rights were being activated and uh, allowed the employees to have some dignity and some protection. I don't know how we transgressed to allow all these... Well, I mean, I wouldn't say the textile industries had the best track record. No, I I completely agree with that. When had the best track record. But it seems like we were moving forward. Different unions forming, different, you know, labor laws. And all of a sudden, during the 1960s, we started going to different countries to implement it where it didn't have those labor laws. I don't, it was, seems like a two step forward, one step back kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to point out that, uh, uh, 
slave labor drove the cotton industry in the South for a long time, even though it was dying out. Oh, I would wager slave industry drove the textile industry across the world. Oh, yeah. But uh, I will agree with what you're what you're saying of in our day and age. Why? Why? Why is it uh, stepping up instead of stepping down or the rate stepping up instead of stepping down, which you'd think. And uh, I don't know. I It's one of the, it's like, um, can we have a textile industry that is ethical? That's, that's a good question. Ethical? That's a really I mean, good question. I'm not quite sure on that one. Uh, I know that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, I, can we do this ethically? Or are we just all good with acknowledging we can't do this ethically? Well, and being like, fuck it, let's let's just buy it from China and India. Well, as much as people like to preach and say try to do good, let's you know not have slave labor. I can't help but notice a lot of them are wearing like industry clothing that is associated with sweatshops and slave labor. And to risk my assassination, I because I don't really care. Some companies still caught using sweatshops in the late, well, not late, the 21st century, Adidas, Disney, Forever 21, Gap, H&M, Nike, Victoria's Secret, the list continues. You could just say all. Yeah, I... See all. It. <laughs> everyone knows sweat labors are bad, at least in the first world, yet we still allow it to happen simply because we want that deal. And just for some perspective... A $70 shirt costs about $15 to make. That is everything from the farmer growing the plant, all the water, all the harvest, to the processing of turning that fabric into a string, to making the actual clothing material, to shipping it to where you need to be, to paying the employees to stock it, to, I mean, the the entire nine yards. It costs $15 to do and $70 to make. All right, so the shirt costs $70 to make. No, $70 to buy, $15 to make. Well, that just seems stupid. Well, I mean, the company has to make a profit. Makes sense. There's, I mean, that that's like tripling their profit, right? Am I missing something? That is, that is nearly uh, quintupling their profit, Nick. Not good at math here. Uh, well, 4 times 15 is 60, so 5 times is about 85... It's about 75 and it's 70, so nearly quintuple. Uh, but yeah, no, exactly. Um, and a lot of these workers are making less than a dollar a day. The average I saw in India was about $2 a day for 16, uh, from 10 to 16 hour days. Holy shit. I mean, it's so intensive that women have to bring their young born their kids to them and they're sitting by their sewing uh, their sewing machine systems so they can wash their kid because they can't afford daycare it's it's an industry that is so profitable with so many ethic fallings and yet the world doesn't seem to care it's so quiet it's it's so under the radar oh i completely agree and and this is not to drag my whole shit into this, but it's one of the, it drives me insane because there's a lot of these industries who you say, you hear talking about climate change and environmental safety and and like all this stuff about how, uh, you know, police should act and people and, and how, you know, what what is this and what is that? And all it's like, you're going to claim the moral high ground and manufacture goods in China and India where you know 
it was not made on the $15 an hour minimum wage you're advocating for. I completely agree. There are places in India, uh, this was this was really disturbing to me. I mean, don't get me wrong, the beating of the employees, horrible. The pollution, which we'll get into later, horrible. But these buildings, these factories where these people were working, were in such poor conditions, even though the employees would say, hey, there are cracks in our cement foundation and pillars. Please do something about it. Again, to no avail, the employers would do nothing about it because they need to save a dime nickel there. These buildings would inc- would collapse on these workers, killing hundreds and thousands. And it's becoming more and more common. I mean, from 2013 to now, it's it seems like three a year of buildings just collapsing on people in India alone of textile workers. Just thousands of people in a building and all that cement rebar comes down upon them all because to save a buck or two and we know this it's public information it's published in the news i mean bbc's done articles on it altazair's done articles on it and yet people still buy the same clothing line people still know that borderline slave labor is producing these clothes yet it doesn't seem to affect them doesn't seem to care i mean i don't know about you nate but personally researching this I have started looking into clothing line industries that are more atone and more accountable, more accountable for their actions. And I will be buying clothes from them. I will no longer be buying clothes from such companies as I mentioned before. The the slave labor needs to stop. And this kind of goes back to I can't remember what episode it was, but in one of the episodes we did, you asked me if I'd be willing to pay two dollars more a shirt to get a Made in the USA shirt, and uh, which I think. Most people could, and I was like, you should check out this brand, Ranger Up. They'll have that thing on their website where if you pay $2 more for the shirt and it has a selection, it's like, would you want? Would you rather pay $2 more to get it made in the United States? Yeah, you're going to click that box. And uh, I, there's, I think if you buy a shirt made in the United States, Europe, somewhere, some first world country, you're, you're not going to have to worry about this. But the problem is finding that shirt, right? So let's talk about... Who's exporting textiles? In 2019, the top exporters of textiles are China, exporting $248 billion of textiles, followed by Bangladesh at $42.8 billion, Vietnam, 41.2, Germany, 37.3, and India, 35.3. China exports 30.9% of the world's textiles. That's a huge number, and that's how much, like, how of that 30, 31%, how many of those workers do you think are treated in a way that someone in the first world would deem as acceptable? Zero. And okay, I would so. bet everything in my life savings about that. <laughs> zero. It's modern slavery. And I, I, as much as I like shitting on China, because it's, boy, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. U.S. is not innocent in this either. U.S. companies are the one paying for this slave labor. And also... So we... Yeah. The United States is the the largest importer I would, of textiles. I, I would also like to point out, we have did an episode on this on modern slavery. U.S. still has, in the United States itself, slave labor making textile clothing. That is a common thing in the United States for the slaves that we have in the United States. Whether it be illegal immigrants too scared to go to the government slavery does exist in the united states still and a lot of it well not a lot of it all over the world still even all first world countries yes and a good chunk of it is used for the textile industry to produce clothing 
And since you brought up China, Nick, I want to mention this in the United States. A 20-foot mm-hmm. shipping container from China to Los Angeles, and I'm talking everything from the gas to load up the shipping container to the paying the tax on the uh, for customs to having the gasoline and diesel over the over the shipping containers cost about twenty three hundred dollars a 20 foot shitting me uh that's what i came across on multiple sites anywhere from i, mean, I believe it. two grand to twenty five hundred so i kind of averaged all the different sites to about twenty three hundred but that's what it costs a 20 foot shipping container you know how many you know how many t-shirts i could fit in a 20 foot shipping container all the t-shirts it certainly seems like that and well now well, all the t-shirts for that fashion, Nick. Um, that's a dark, dark joke from where I'm going to go to the, into the podcast. But I want to stick on slave labor oh, a little fun. more. Obviously. Different companies say they're going to do this. But from what I could find, about only 11% of the companies are actually, in, in the entire world, 11% of the companies are trying to ethically grow and manufacture their clothing. If one out of 10 people were slave owners nowadays, I... We would castrate them. We would uh, we would ridicule them. We would try to stop them. Well, just about one out of ten clothing industries have some form of slave labor, whether it be sweatshops or physically slaves, and yet we do nothing about it. I'm guilty as much as the next person. I have clothing that unfortunately fit the list, and now moving forward and researching this, I realized hey, we've all gotten clothing from customink.com. We are all guilty here. Fuck. <laughs> For, for real. I mean, it's just shoes alone, which I'll talk about later. The popularity of certain brands, Adidas, Nike, it's disgusting on how they those brands produce the product to meet the demand, which I probably just pissed off some really big industries. And boy, I feel the red dots from the sniper rifles on me right now. It feels real, a little scary. Not going to lie. A little scary. You know how people say Dave Chappelle is too big to cancel? Well, we're too small to cancel. Let's hope so, because if I would like to, I would like to transition into what these slave labor companies are producing negatively—not just labor, but pollution. Okay. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to throw out a number so we can think about this. The world for 2019, the cost of, or I guess, profit of textile trade was 802 billion dollars which is the seventh largest trade category in the world. About 4.5% of world trade is textiles. That's... Which is seven. That's nearly unfathomable. That's, that, those statistics are nearly unfathomable. I don't think people realize what, if, just 1%, just, just 1% of the entire world's 7 billion people. I don't think people realize how big of a number that is. Like, like that's, that's more than some countries' total capital. Yeah, that's a that's an incredible number. Well, speaking of incredible numbers, and it's going to also make you sad. Did you know nearly twenty percent of all industrial water population water pollution comes from the textile industry, whether it be dyes or simply the burning, just dumping chemicals into the water? It's disgusting. But twenty percent of the world, which is kind of surprising because it's only four and a half percent of world trade so you'd think it'd be around four and a half percent so i just i don't i didn't think about that because i honestly i see it as different industries require different processes so i mean you don't need a lot of chemicals to produce a screw or metal or plat uh, so 
that kind of doesn't really fall into that category. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying of, yeah, it's, you don't need as much material to create something simple, but for textiles, which are, seem simple, but are surprisingly complex with the amount of colors and patterns and fabric and everything that goes into them. Nick, what a perfect transition you just gave me. I want to talk about dyes for a minute. The colors, the textiles, what you're wearing right now, listening to this, is all questionable. A very common dyeing process is AZO. These dyes are cheap, and they're also harmful. So they're used quite commonly. In fact, the entire EU has banned them due to their toxicity. But not in the United States. And not, well, anywhere else in the world. Only the EU. A study from the University of Memphis found, and I quote, aromic amenities are carcinogenic, mutagenic, allergenic, and also have caused various human maladies in addition to being harmful pollution to our environment. AZOs are a dye commonly used to create colors and patterns, which are polluting not only the water, not only the air, not only the soil, but our skin ourselves. They are water-soluble dye, and fun fact, when you sweat, that's water-soluble. So it makes it easy to absorb into your skin. But luckily, Nick, right, clothes aren't on your skin at all at, at any point in your life. They're always away from your skin. It's not like you wear them, right? Yes, that's exactly how clothing works. Uh, AZO are not banned, I do want to point out, in the United States, but they are restricted depending on them, but AZOs are dime a dozen in the united states the clothes on your back quite literally might be poisoning you and you don't know about it because there's no regulation and we simply don't care if it saves a buck or two well i think that's uh it's kind of how it's always been right i mean talk about like uh water bottles and stuff everyone knew like it was known that bpa isn't good for people but it's a cheap plastic so even though we know people are getting a little bit poisoned by it no one really cares because of how cheap it is and the frequency with which you use it uh, it's obviously gonna be different with clothing that you wear but i don't know I, I i just don't think uh people care about that stuff and, and to be fair i i don't i mean there's a, a cancer warning label on everything so it's hard to it's hard to be like oh this is one i actually need to watch out for thanks california again for that well, Nick, you keep teeing me off, and I absolutely love it. So, the new clothes smell, Nick, you know that smell I'm talking about when you buy a fresh t-shirt? Could be in a plastic bag that you order that has a Josie Wales on it, or Atlas Shrug, in uh, my case. You know that smell, Smells right? like cancer. Well, it's full manorhide. The same thing used for dead bodies. They're using that exact chemical to make that smell. And since you mentioned plastics, again, you're just teeing me off here. PFAs and PFCs. Water resistant, you know, to make that windbreaker to have water run off, is nicknamed in the industry as forever chemicals, simply because it's so hard to break down and, you know, well, take centuries to decompose, well, if not centuries, thousands of years to decompose, and is severely linked into infidelity and cancer. So that windbreaker you might be wearing might make you not able to have kids. And sticking with the synthetic materials, and excuse my pronunciation, pathetamines found in active wear, such as like sports clothing, have been linked to hormone distribution and cancer. So that gym shirt you bought to help you show off your muscles might be affecting your testosterone so you build less muscle. 
or that sports clothing, those yoga pants you're wearing, might make you lose less weight simply because the chemicals used in that clothing. No, not Costco. They can't be the enemy. Nick, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a war on all fronts that we've been losing for centuries. I, The clothing Another industry... Another war we've been losing for centuries? Damn it. Oh, I feel like the resistance and the Death Star is completely built. I, I'm... I'm out of luck. They they took the shirt off my back, Nick. Fashion, just in general, is the number two polluter in the world. Now, not polluter just in carbon dioxide, but polluter in all aspects. So the chemicals being dumped into the river, those chemicals that are in your back, the emissions to transfer it over, the machinery to do all this. An industry no one's talking about in order for environmental change. The pollution, fashion, something every day we wear, but is having such a large impact. It doesn't seem like anyone wants to talk about it. No, and that's be- it's exactly like the cell phones and, and the trafficking. It's because we know we're guilty. This isn't, like you said, this isn't hidden. Like we know, Everyone knows this is fucked up. No one really knows how to fix it, so we're just going to ignore it and hope it goes away. Well, I'm going to make you more sad, Nick, with more statistics and figures because uh, the recycling and upcycling and being repu- uh, being repeatable is a process dear to my heart. And boy, does fashion completely break it. About 92 tons of textile waste globally are produced each year. Only 12% of material used for clothes are recycled every year. And the synthetic fibers used in, you know, shirts... As of June 2021, account for 1.35% of the global oil consumption because those synthetic fibers, majority of the time, are made of petroleum, which is, you know. Which is the number one trade, uh, number one industry for world trade. Talk about going hand in hand. And the problem is, too, a lot of the shirts nowadays are not one material. Yes, there's a 100% cotton blend, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of shirts are are multiple materials which makes it far more harder to recyclable because no longer can you just throw it all in one category you have to separate the materials in order to reuse the materials which makes it far far more harder and it doesn't just stop with clothes well sticking with textiles but different type of clothing textiles shoes about 20 billion shoes are produced each year that's about three pairs of shoes for every individual on the planet I mean, sneakers alone count for 1.4% of the global greenhouse gases created. Which is crazy because you think the high cost of shoes, that they would be made more ethically than just t-shirts. Nick, wait until we get to the fashion part of it. Because the amount of money spent on dumb shit in the fashion world is ridiculous. But what, from what I saw is men and women have different amount of shoes. I, that's just a statistic I came across. And for men and women, clothing is very different, at least in the first world countries. On average, in the United States, an adult from 25 to 34, male, spends about 161 per month on clothing, which, I'll be honest, Nick, that's probably like two years or three years worth of my clothing. I don't know where, I don't know how many people, I, I don't understand where 161 is coming from. Yeah, well, I'm the, I'm the one that's not right in this equation i spend more on clothes than my wife because i work outside so i have a lot of expensive clothing that keeps me warm and dry so i'm that guy who buys 200 dollars pants 
and $100 jackets. Well, for women, for the same age group, on average, spend 209 per month. So nearly $50 more. I mean, the whole industry of clothing is about $2.4 trillion a year. And in the United States, 32% of the women have 25 or more shoes. 15% of women don't have clothes older than five years old in the United States. And on average, women spend $7% more on clothing. So the same pair of jeans would cost 7% more than men's. No, 100% believe that. I don't understand where the 25 pairs of shoes. That's pretty much a different shoe every day of the month. I might be a little ignorant of this, but I have literally used duct tape and super glue to keep my shoes going because I simply did not want to buy another pair of shoes. I have sewn many of jeans and t-shirts to keep them going simply because they have holes in them. I I'll be honest, I'm a little disconnected. Bold of you to sew your clothes back together. I just continue wearing them when I have a giant hole in the crotch. <laughs> well, it's so small, no one can see it, so you're fine there. But Oof, That was hilarious, but uncalled for. Oh, I thought it was hilarious and accurate. God damn. So close, yet so <laughs> cigar. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand how people spend this much money and stuff on clothes. I mean, I bought five t-shirts not too long ago and i maybe spent 40 bucks for five t-shirts now granted now looking back at it they're probably slave labor labor associated because they were so cheap but i wear my like if i get a shirt that has a graphic on it i'm gonna throw that shirt off when that graphic is no longer visible and the holes are too big for me to repair i don't understand how people have like 25 pairs of shoes i that is unfathomable to me yeah i'd it might be the world I live in. That doesn't seem right to me. You know, my wife has a lot of shoes, but she has maybe like 10 to 12 pairs of shoes, and I have six pairs of shoes. Well, again, this is only 32% of the women, but still a third of the United States women have 25 or more shoes. A third, nearly a third. That's a huge portion. That's so many shoes. It's, oh God, it's just. There's just so much. And a problem, a big... So some some could say there's more... Women have more shoes than they have throw pillows. That's not... That's, that's not true. That's, that's there's true. so many throw pillows. Hey, you want to stop so I can take a piss? Sink. One, two, three. One, two, three. Sink. One, two, three. One, two, three. Well, since I brought it up, shoes. Huge part of the textile industry. Huge part of the pollutions and bad things going on in the world. Surprise, surprise there. Every, like I mentioned, 20 billion shoes are produced each year. That's nearly three pairs per individual. And the amount of different materials on the shoes is astronomical. I did not realize how many different types of textiles are on your shoes. From pleather to leather, to cotton, to synthetic materials, petroleum-based materials, to plastics, which makes shoes nigh recyclable. The only way I've seen them be actually recyclable is to get, donate them so someone else can wear them. But if they're completely destroyed, to separate all the materials is not cost effective, which makes them pretty much go to the landfill. And since they're made of such materials that do not decompose as well, they just stay there. I mean, I thought it was very interesting. You mentioned Michael Celiac in the beginning of the podcast, Nick. I saw some shoes starting to be made out of mushrooms, which gives me some hope of that. Well, I 
I think it's going to be a while just because of how versatile rubber is and how well it works in shoes. Well, the thing is, there's not a lot of rubber in shoes. In fact, uh, most shoes I saw came across don't have any rubber in them. Rubber is being used for other things. And for those who don't know, rubber is pretty much a tar derived from plants. But the in your shoes that you have, your gym shoes, your tennis shoes, your Converse, your Nikes, your Adidas, they're made with plastics and synthetic materials far less than natural materials such as rubber, cotton, and silk, which, again, all these have a hard time decomposing and make it far more harder to recyclable. Yeah, I'm trying to find... There's the, the the rubber or sorry footwear is broken down into a lot of separate uh, categories of, of of what it is. So I'm just trying to look look at some of this. But yeah, so there's a lot of footwear that gets broken down. But footwear and headwear, so hats and shoes, accounts for about one percent of world trade at 171 billion dollars, and it includes all footwear and including rubber, leather, um, all the stuff you're talking about. So, and of course, once again, China's the number one exporter, and we're the number one importer, United States. So, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's one of those things that we all knew was probably not good, but what's, I guess, we didn't really have an alternative. I don't know. Are there any? I don't know. If, I didn't look at look up this at all, Mike, but are there any quote-unquote ethical shoe companies? Yes. There are a few that are in the early stages and young that are doing that. Either, there's even some plastic ones that are all made from the same... Simply made being made all from the same material makes it recyclable. It's able to be recycled. So there are entire shoes being 3D printed, made out of plastics, different shoes completely made out of plastics that are simply being able to be recyclable, thus making them that. Again, not really mainstream, not really popular, but they're there and perhaps they'll gain some traction. But you may wonder yourself, why are these shoes not being popularized, that the ones that are actively being ethically sourced and produced? And how do we get to this point of, you know, we get one pair of shirt and we toss out the other rather than reuse what we have or recycle what we have or, you know, not sell our souls for the clothes on our backs, whether dumping chemicals into a river or using a government that is questionable on its ethics? Well... The fashion industry is to blame. Uh, from what all I can see is in the 1960s when we started outsourcing to different countries is when the fashion industry had a major boom in runways, fashion catalogs, et cetera, et cetera, which made this quick turnaround. In fact, there's a new thing called in the 21st century called fast fashion, which is a different fashion show every week. So what might be in season one week is out of season the next week. Which is just, I, I mean, just to point out how much money is being spent to promote these and do these events. Vers- Ooh, I'm not good with Italian names. Versailles spends $9 million plus on fashion shows. 5 million euros on photo shoots. So pretty much for advertising, they're using 14 million euros to show off the clothing you can buy. Which makes you think... How much money are they actually making if they're using that much to promote their clothing line? Well, I think you pointed out exactly how much they're making, getting a product for $15, selling it at 70 per shirt. Like, that's a lot of money. And the thing that's crazy, too, is a lot of times when you buy a more expensive shirt, it's easier because you're like, oh, if this shirt costs this much, 
it was probably made, you know, in the U.S. It was probably made correctly. I don't know. Ethically, I guess, is what you you think. But that's apparently not the case. People want that three for $15 deal over at the store to get the shirt. And we want cheaper so we can make clothing a disposable commodity rather than a commodity we buy once and settle for it. I mean, Nick, me and you both know you don't cheap out on a good pair of work gloves, you know, good pair of boots that could kill you if you, if you don't, if you cheap out on those. Oh yeah. But I'm just wondering, like I bought a $400 pair of boots. I'm actually, they were made in the USA. I'm like 90% certain they were made there, but who knows where the material came from? I, I don't know. It's just like, that's a, originally I thought that a high cost meant you were safe with, you know, an, an ethical product, if you will. But it's just that's that not the case. Not the case. Yeah, I know, and that's what. I mean, look <laughs> at look at Nike and Victoria's Secret alone. I mean, both those clothing lines and shoe lines are extremely expensive. And again, feeling those lasers on the back of my skull, those are uh, those are ethically not great companies. I mean, it's so much money, and everyone's trying to get that dollar bill a little bit higher. I mean, going back to the fashion shows because I mentioned Victoria's Secret for a ten to 15 minute fashion show like a little runway for average across the entire world from milan to paris to new york it costs anywhere from two hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars for 10 to 15 minutes and yet we're spending two dollars a day on an employee in india if that it seems like the distribution of wealth which is a dangerous topic in itself but it seems like we're sacrificing our soul to buy a cheap product that we're going to toss out and buy a new one the next week anyhow. Yeah, probably. Well, Nick, with that vote of confidence, I, I, <laughs> you make me so optimistic. But I do want to mention many companies, not many companies, some governmental officials and companies are trying. Again, I saw about 11% are trying to be ethically sound. Different organizations to help men and women in foreign countries not be treated as slaves and kind of going back a little bit to the history but i think it's important to understanding with the toxins where it sure comes from and like you mentioned nick if you thought higher cost meant higher quality 1939 something would be enacted called the wool act which makes those clothing lines and textiles be labeled so it had to be labeled of what the blend was what materials were in it that might need to be expanded upon of where it was where this material not only came from because we all seen them made in china bangladesh india colombia etc on the shirts but also was this made with slave labor was this made with sweatshops i, I feel like you could just look for the made in china tag and and guess for yourself but well I for agree. the made in china one yes yes i know what you're saying because as much money is in the textile and it was just very surprising to me as much money is in the textile industry there's not a lot of regulation on it and yeah because there's sam so much fucking money in it mike well uncle sam loves getting their taxes and revenue and regulate and god nick come on let's be honest how much does the government love to regulate people and there's not a lot on the industry yeah if you make enough money the government doesn't tax you everyone knows that unfortunately you're right but the amount of I don't know. I'm just I'm just disgusted. Like people know this is happening. People know this is bad. And I'm guilty of it myself of saying, "Oh, well this shirt's a little cheaper. I'll buy this shirt." Not really thinking 
not really putting it together that, hey, probably a 14-year-old kid in a third-world country made this so it could be this cheap, which begs the question, Nick, because I want to bring this around to you a little bit questionable. I saw this argument. It was in a BBC article, which I'm torn on. It makes sense to me, but it also doesn't make sense to me, and I want to get your opinion on it. If this country or village or city has conditions that are worse than the sweatshops and adding the sweatshops actually is an improvement do we still allow the sweatshops to be there so things are so shitty that having a sweatshop actually improves things do we allow that sweatshop to continue to exist yeah i guess i mean it's gonna make it better but uh so i think this is this kind of ties into something i want to talk about which is the i don't know if you ran across the multi-fiber agreement which turned into the agreement on textiles and clothing I have not come across this. Please, please inform me. Okay, so it was a group of, uh, you know, first world and developing countries that came together and said, we're going to put a limit on the amount of textiles first world countries can import from developing countries in order to try and limit the slave labor kind of industry that is going to inevitably spring up from when you have hundreds of workers that are willing to work at almost no wages from these developing countries. Um, but it, it has since expired and was not reviewed, was not renewed. So is this a sunset bill, pretty much? Yeah, like a world sunset bill. Mm. But I think something like that would be useful of saying, like, look, okay, so if you are a, let's say, you know, first world country, you can only import a small percentage of textiles from developing countries. And I would include China in that as well not that they're they're both a first and third world country but uh more of the their, their labor practices but that way it forces first world countries to buy products from other first world countries where we know for the most part you have a more regulated industry i don't see the dutch trying to uh use whips and beating people to produce clogs so to speak no i you know and if there's two things I hate in this world, <laughs> it's people who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. All right, Austin Powers, calm down, calm down. But I think that's, uh, you know, and, and this kind of comes, we've talked about this, or at least I've talked about this in many episodes of if you want it done right, you got to buy it from, you got to make it here and build it here. You got to do all the shit here and you're going to have a lot better chance at it being ethical and all that stuff but the problem is it's super expensive so like you know those um uh like the water bottles and like the the aluminum like super expensive koozies like your your coffee mug kind of stuff like the yeti coffee mug shit like that okay yeah I'm it costs about and stuff like you know 30 to 50 bucks right now you know if those were made in the united states it cost anywhere from 150 to 200 dollars Fuck, didn't realize that. I thought Yeti was already expensive as it is. You're telling me. So you'd think paying that high cost that it would be a, you know, a good product again, but that's not the case. So Perhaps we've come so jaded where everything's so cheap that something that we think is expensive isn't actually that expensive. I, I mean, what, the average shoes cost, what, 80 bucks? Yeah, probably I mean, boots. 80 to 100 something dollars, yeah. Yeah, but... I, I can't imagine how much a pair of shoes would cost in the, even not that far ago, say the 1920s, 100 years ago. I imagine a cobbler 
would charge pretty decent money to build an entire shoe for a person, and you would take care of that, and that lasts decades upon your life. It seems like we've sacrificed quantity for quality. We're like, oh, these shoes are bad. I'm just going to toss them out and buy a new pair of shoes. It doesn't matter. But back in the day, like, oh, no, I ruined my shoes. Well, so, like, I, I have a pair of uh, Nick's boots. Nick's is a, a brand, not mm. my name. Um, I know. Oh, God. I, I want a pair of Nick's boots so bad. And they make fire boots, but they're $400. That lasts me like five years or so. But you can send them back in and get them resold and all that stuff and, and patched. And uh, so, but those are American made boots with American materials. So, actually, I'm looking at the website. Now they're $500. When I bought them, they were 400 It's been a while since I bought them. But so that's what you're going to pay for, for an American made, American produced product. It kind of seems worth it not to sell your soul. Not gonna lie, five hundred dollars not to have a kid suffer or a woman be beaten or a man die from chemicals seems five hundred dollars is a small price to pay. And they do last a lot longer. Like I said, I, I still have my Nick's boots and I still wear them. And I, oh fuck, I bought them eight nine years ago, eight years ago. I don't wear them every day like I used to, but they still work. So you know, when they last that long, you can. You can kind of justify it. I mean, if you divide that cost by a year. What, eight years and $400? So 60-something bucks a year. Yeah. But that's, I didn't didn't wear them every day. So it's probably closer to 100 bucks a year if you're going to wear, it's going to be your only shoe and you're going to have to send it in. But that's what people are paying right now for a shoe a year. But you didn't sell your soul to do it. No, but I, I definitely sold my soul for my Vans. Yeah. Yeah. I disagree with that. I can't. I'm, it, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. But speaking of selling your soul. <laughs> okay. Something in the textile industry, which is. Brought to you by. Our, we're currently sponsored by <laughs> Huawei. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I. It's definitely a terrible thing, but a terrible in which way I'm not quite sure. Fakes. People making fake purses, fake shoes, fake clothing bands, fake textile industries. It's a huge market. I mean, hell, in the United States, they seized $1.3 billion, with a B, dollars in counterfeit goods in 2020. Textiles being a high majority of it. I, I mean, So we're just doing to China what China's doing to us? Just making our product yes, but cheaper? No, well, we're not making the product. People are making, people are making Chinese products probably in India, bringing them to the United States and selling them for 50 bucks instead of 300 bucks. But since it's got the name brand and looks the same, if it looks the same, quacks the same, it's the same. And so people are buying that at, you know, flea markets, markets, et cetera, et cetera. Which begs the difference. If it costs $50 to make the exact same replica and they're both ethically evil, why does it make a difference? Like if one costs $300 to make a uh, purse and you pay for that and it's still made with slave labor and you pay $50 for one that looks exactly the same as a ripoff but still made with slave labor. Why is that a big difference? I don't, I'm confused on how that's really bad as societal. I mean, yeah, you're kind of ripping off a company's brand and looks, but if both are doing extremely unethical things, does two wrongs really make a right? So you're, I mean, so basically both both sides are using low low right, paid have, to slave labor you have co- but you're buying you the cheaper a, the cheaper b one. making yeah 
Yeah. Now, so let's say hypothetically is India making fake products that China's making. Do I see anything wrong with fucking over China? Obviously, no. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. I came across about three to four different articles when I'm looking up fake goods on how ethically drawn the line this is. Apparently, fake you buying a fake counterfeit good is worse than having slave labor. So, uh, as as fakes goes. I saw an article that said that the cash from fake goods go to drug cartels or gun runners. And that was a quote. And in my mind, how is that any worse than going to a company that runs sweatshops and slave labor camps? I don't really see the difference between the two evils. And I am very curious on what I'm missing. So if I buy fake labor, I'm supporting drug cartels and gun runners. But if I buy the real thing, I'm supporting women taking pregnancy pills so they can't get maternity leave, buildings collapsing on them, and slave labor, and working 16-hour days for less than a dollar. I'm Honestly, I might buy the fake to support the gun runners and drug dealers more than the fucking slave owners. That's just that's my first impression. I was wondering about yours, Nick. This country is founded by gun runners. Uh, yeah, and also slave owners. So kind there of both worlds. Look at that. Back here we are. <laughs> uh, here we go again. But yeah, I Nick, uh, uh, the textile industry. I mean, from Persian rugs to silk sheets to bamboo uh, pillowcases to the newest fashion. There's so much money. It's it's so much dirty de- dealing, politics, favors, ethics. It's it's a whole world no one's talking about in the public light. Like we all know, like social media is. I mean, I don't in the public light. Everyone kind of knows. I don't split. think it's in the public light, but I do think it's something that everyone knows. Like I don't think this topic, this like talking about how clothes are made with slave labor and terrible conditions with fucked up practices in China and India is really a surprise to anyone. The numbers might be shocking, but the overall idea, I don't think this is news to anybody. I agree and disagree at the same time. So how I mean is running a marathon, 26 miles. Yeah, everyone knows that's kind of hard, but until you do it yourself, you don't know how hard it is. It's knowing versus actually knowing are two different things. Like we all know that we should recycle, we shouldn't pollute, we shouldn't do yada, 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 but we don't. We all know that we should buy ethical clothing, but we don't because it's not in our face. It's not obvious. It's not so blatant. It's a million miles away, so it means nothing to us. That's that's where I'm getting at, where, yes, on paper, it's hard, but paper versus real life, two different things. Yeah, well, and I don't know. I think we're eventually going to have to have an episode on this. Of I think it just makes sense not only defense-wise, but morally of why we need to stop purchasing goods from developing countries. Well, to kind of leave the pressure off the questioning I gave you, I do have another question for you because I couldn't find any research from this. I imagine, Nick, you're much like me. You've gone to Goodwill, secondhand shops, and be like, oh, this is not a bad shirt. I'll buy this shirt. Oh, it's not a bad coat. I'll buy this coat. You've gone to secondhand shops to buy clothing. Yes? Well, yeah, I go to uh 
thrift stores, whatever you want to call it, to buy clothes because I can take those clothes out in the woods and get them scratched and broken and really not care because they're pretty cheap. Or I get something super amazing. I'm picturing you in a pink tuxedo and I am horrified. No, but uh, when I was working in Northern California, which had a lot of like blackberries and stuff, so you needed to wear long sleeve shirts because of the blackberries and poison oak um, in Unrelated, but also the uh, marijuana grows. But um, I found this, it was like definitely a slave labor shirt, but it was it was like one of those shirts that was shimmery, like it looked uh, like it had like crystals and shit on it, but it was all the USA with like a screeching eagle coming out of the chest with like, as I said, like USA on the back. And I wore it to work because I needed to wear high visibility clothing. So you got a bedazzled America shirt. That's that's what I'm ten bucks. Yeah. Reasonably priced. Well, but a thing I mean, I grew up with secondhand clothing, going to Goodwills, going to thrift stores, going to garage sales, picking up stuff. All that's changed with COVID. That is a dying industry. I couldn't find exact statistics, but I saw overwhelming number of thrift store thrift stores going down amount of garage really? sales decreasing i i saw overall in the united states in major areas especially urban areas the thrift store and garage sales decreasing people are scared of perhaps quote unquote dirty clothes that that's hard to believe i don't know we uh maybe just were i live like you said urban areas but I feel like there's a garage sale, multiple garage sales every weekend, as well as there's a, do you know how, I would, I'm going to describe to you the most Oregon store in the world, Mike. It's a thrift store boutique. So essentially it's a thrift, it's a, it's a Goodwill boutique. So it's a higher end Goodwill. Okay. So like all your so big fashion like names. No, no, no. Like if anyone donates like high fashion shit to Goodwill, it goes to the store. Interesting. Well, so like if you wanted you see to a lot of cars, recycle, yeah, I mean it's in a more opulent area, I guess. So you're seeing a lot of cars at these garage sales and stuff like that. You see a lot of foot traffic. Oh yeah, definitely at the garage sales around here. But I think I don't know. It might be more just the the area. I don't know. I think uh, I feel like there's a lot of traffic at the garage sales and and thrift stores. But that might be because it's not. Uh, I don't live in like it's not a poor community but it's not a rich community uh from what i saw in dallas austin and san antonio nobody it's they could be doing these things and it looks like there's maybe one two cars which i'm guessing are the employees cars or if at garage sales no cars i i see more in at least in texas that even though that's thrift stores Garage sales are so much fun. You never know what you're going to find. I am a fan of them, which is, it's kind of, it's kind of weird to see. Maybe, maybe it's a state by state base. Maybe that's weird. Cause like, like I said, every time I've gone to the Goodwill here, I've never been able to just go up to the register. There's always been at least one person ahead of me. Damn. I, wow. That's, that's odd. But it's me. also I've... one of the bigger areas in the area of nothing. So it's like the Goodwill. There's actually a lot of thrift stores by. I think there's like four thrift stores in this town. Hey, I'm all I'm all for thrift stores because it's hard to recycle. All right, so I mentioned recycling clothing a little bit earlier in the podcast. Recycling clothing is extremely difficult. Most of your clothing ends up in landfills, and it's not great. So 
from what I can tell, the only really true way the average person can recycle their clothing is to donate so people can wear. Besides that, it pretty much just ends up with landfill majority of the time. Uh, I'm a big fan of thrift stores, secondhand stores. I mean, growing up, that's how I got majority of my clothing. So it, if <laughs> what you donate kind of matters, especially like for people like me. So when I, it, it's just weird that all these clothes, all these shoes, just end up in landfills. So much waste that takes slow to decompose or don't decompose, depending on the material. And some companies are trying to figure out ways to recycle these clothing more efficiently. But right at the moment, as of this recording, it's negligible. It's it. Your clothes either end up in a landfill or a secondhand shop. That's about it. Uh, that's just surprising to me. I mean, it's not that surprising. It's like mediocre surprising that, I mean, you can't watch anything on TV without getting a commercial or Hulu, anything with advertising without getting commercial or something related to being green or recycling. And that we'd have such a problem with recycling clothing, especially, I, I don't know, to me, I've, I don't think I've ever lived anywhere more than like 30 minutes from a Goodwill, like something you'll pass. Like you, you if you go into town to get groceries or something, like there's a Goodwill there that you can get or any other kind of thrift store where you can get rid of, you know, old clothes or something that doesn't fit anymore you'd think that there'd be more emphasis on that than buying the latest green hemp clothing which a fun thing about a uh, fun little textile history thing about hemp hemp was retired from being a clothing pretty pretty soon after cotton uh, hemp was considered some of the basically if you wore hemp you were poor because it's very rough and it's really just not a good fabric for clothes so it was a sign of being poor, which is ironic because now hemp clothing is basically a sign of being you have enough money to spend on the stupid clothing that's the quality is not very good. I guess scratchy is well, a better word. What goes around comes around, I guess. But since we're talking about recycling uh, in secondhand thrift stores, I want to mention this. I didn't dive too much research into this, but I did see this. The recycling of clothing is actually destroying countries' GDP. So... Some countries, they're are small, they're poor, and their main export or their main livelihood was the textile industry. But because so many clothes were being donated, trying to be up recycled, stuff like that, they simply, the ones that weren't sold at thrift stores were packed up and sold and shipped to these countries. So much to the point where these countries that were sewers, seamstress, cobblers can no longer exist. The market's so flooded with extra clothes where it's non-viable for their livelihood. So the recycling has effectively killed their country, which is a weird state. It's weird. Do you recycle to the point where you destroy entire people's livelihood in a third world country? Or do you recycle to save the world and the country just simply has to adapt to a new industry? It's a very questionable thing. And if I remember correctly, it was a Caribbean and an African country, which I saw specifically, where so many clothes were going in there that they simply shipped them by the container and just dumped them. So, like, imagine a bale of hay and that was just clothes and they just dumped them in the market. You grab what you want and pay five bucks for 50 shirts, pretty much. Well, I think that's a that's really a, a bigger question that you're asking. I think we've talked about this about uh, 
maybe charity or, or something, but one of the big problems with developing countries is people in first world countries really want to help out. So like you said, we donate clothes or we recycle clothes or we donate food and donating all those resources, like you said, the cobblers, the people who make clothes, they can't make any money because why would you pay for some local shirt when you, you know, $15, put a why would you buy five hundred pairs, uh, five hundred dollars for a pair of boots when you can pay sixty dollars? Exactly, and that's like uh, when the United States was in Afghanistan to help promote local businesses, we would sell surplus goods to the Afghani's at a price like one point ten to twenty percent the price of whatever another like a local market was selling it. So, like, say there is a small town, small village. And there is a man who sold feed for goats or chickens or whatever, and his chicken feed cost a buck a pound. Uh, the United States didn't want that town to run out of feed to feed their livestock, but they also didn't want to undermine the cost of the competition. They wanted people to buy local first, but if they had to, to be able to have a functioning economy, they could buy at a higher price from the Americans. So that price is always like 1.1 or 1.2% of whatever they were selling, which is not the case when you're buying recycled or, you know, cheap, cheap labor from another place. They're selling it under the price, which is why would you buy from a local place? So like anywhere where food is donated, this is a big problem in Somalia. When the United States was there, we just kept donating food, putting all the farmers out of business because... Why would you pay someone for food when you could just get it for free? Well, that's a question for the anarchist in Somalia. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I did not know the United States did that in Afghanistan for goods, which is very interesting on an economical standpoint, which I'm very intrigued with. And I'm happy to know and now have more further research to do. Yeah. And I think this is a question that it's uh, it's one of those where it's not there's no there's not going to be a simple answer for it, you know, because emotionally we want to help these people and we think giving them low-cost goods and and low-cost clothing is going to help them but actually we need we need them to be able to build their businesses and by undermining all their businesses we're really just keeping these people in in poverty this is a very abrasive analogy but i think it's very fitting if you teach a man to fish he eats for the rest of life if you catch a fish for a man he only eats for a day it seems like we're giving the man the fish for these countries rather than teaching them how to fish it's abrasive and very brutish analogy but i think very fitting at the same time that sometimes you have to struggle to survive but there's a difference between struggle and poverty and cruelty so it's it's finding the line of struggle versus being screwed over yeah but it's hard for us to set that precedent true it's it's very true but honestly, with the what the clothing and fashion and textile industry, how worse can it possibly be? I mean, well, how 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 are we going to make it worse? Honestly, I I mean, with these major companies pretty much having handing the whip to these private industries to create clothing and textile and cloth and shoes and all these textile industry things, how is it any worse? How how possibly can it get worse? I mean, they're literally locking factories up because people were complaining about labor rights and beating them. The buildings are collapsing on them. They're using forced labor camps to create clothing to sell to people who don't know because simply they want to pay $14.99 per shirt instead of 
I mean, how much worse can it possibly get? Why why don't we just try things? Why don't we just, I mean, this is, uh, we said it before, I'll say it again. If we just produced our own goods here, it, it drastically improved the, the world overall. If we tomorrow stopped producing goods or started producing goods in the United States, we would cut out 15% of the total textile textile industry from the world, which would be $120,000 or $120 trillion taken away out of the $102 billion industry. So you're telling me if we did that for six years, we would beat out national debt? Yeah, pretty much. Good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Well, Nick, I have one final question for you. And it's, uh, it's a question I didn't really investigate too much but i know it's a very popular thing kids they grow up they don't usually wear the same clothing as they did a year or two ago simply because they're well like you nick a growing boy that will eventually hit puberty (laughs) one day i'll have facial hair (laughs) (laughs) but i was trying i was having a hard time finding ethical kids clothes i found some ethical adult clothes but kids clothes are a little bit harder because, again, year to year, it's so different. I mean, a 12-year-old to a 14-year-old, it's, I mean, they could have changed many sizes in between then. I, I, I get where you're coming from, but I don't think it, it is as complicated as you're making it. Uh, pretty much just because of hand-me-downs. I know in my family and in the families around where I live now, like in my family... My brother wore my clothes, and then my cousins wore my brother's clothes, which were my clothes, and then my other cousins wore my brother's clothes, or my cousin's clothes, which were at one point wore my brother's, and then wore my clothes, just because kids grow out of stuff faster. It's all stayed in the family, and in like where I live now, uh, someone, a, w- a woman from my wife's office got pregnant, and so everyone basically just gave her all their old baby clothes because they don't need them anymore. It's pretty much the same as a thrift store, but it's kept in the family more so. Baby clothes and toddler clothes are much different than middle school and high schooler clothes. Well, I know. <laughs> my middle school and high school clothes, my brother wore. And you know, you can know that because he will tell you about how he was forced to wear whatever clothes I wore and I dress like an idiot, he'll sell you. I feel like every younger sibling will tell you that they had to wear whatever clothes the older sibling wore. I guess that's just the benefits of being an only child or a firstborn. Yep. See, I mean, there's no real benefits, but yeah, you don't learn about stuff like that, I guess. Well, I was making a joke of being the firstborn or the only child is better than being the younger sibling simply because of yada, 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 and more astronauts have been on space that are only childs or firstborn than I don't think any astronauts have gone to space since if they were the youngest. Look, all I'm saying is people who are older children are happy to be older children and people who are younger siblings resent their older sibling because they were the oldest. So it seems like the best deal to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But going back to the, the textile and fashion industry, I saw fashion starting to creep in more into the kid market. I always saw fashion as like 16 and above, but it seems like fashion, whether it's by my ignorance of not seeing it, starts at a much younger age and it's affecting that industry and something i mean how many shoes i mean uh like i said this is before that most 
I think a third of the women in the United States don't have clothes older than five years in their closet. That's so weird to me. I know for a fact I have a sweatshirt which is close to 15 years old. Listen, I've so I've fixed that zipper so many goddamn times, but still keeps me warm, keeps me going, keep it going. I it's just it, I don't know. It's it's the fashion industry makes sense to me, and at the same time, completely does not make sense to me. I don't know. I don't think it's that complicated. I think it's like most other industries in the U.S. They're gonna get behind whatever is popular right now, like being green, sell their product in whatever way they can make the most money. Spoiler alert, it's not being green. And then you're going to try to try to make people to buy it because they think they're being green and when in reality they're not. I don't know. I've, I don't think they're really that complicated. They're not really keeping anything from us. Like you said, no one, everyone knows about what's going on. Even if they're trying to hide it, they're not doing a very good job of it. I don't know. I feel like there's so much more. I feel, I feel like we're, uh, it's like time. Like we understand what time is, but we don't really understand what time is. It's I, I feel like there's so much more to the fashion, clothing, textile industry that is in front of our face, but so close to our nose that we can't see it. it's in our blind spot. Like it's it's there, we just can't see it. I don't know. Well, Nick, that's all about I have. And I was wondering if you had any more. No, I, I think we touched on all the main important points. Well, as we end this, I want to point out too, if we've probably missed a lot, there's probably a lot, there's probably something dangling in front of my nose, like I'm thinking about that we haven't realized. And Nick, if people wanted to tell us where we could find these information, things that we're missing or different topics we didn't talk about, where could they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Backyard Philosophy Podcast, and we are coming to Reddit and uh, next episode we'll have a name and you can get on there, but it'll either be something... Either Backyard Philosophy or Backyard Philosophy Podcast. And Nick, I am reading currently Stealth War by Robert Spalding. And I re- decided to restart the book and slowly go through and take notes and dissect because China has played the perfect chess game. And I want to understand their strategy and I want to understand how they did it. And I'm very sad every day I read the book. Oh, yeah. it's. Uh, what about you, my friend? <laughs> I... Uh... I read the uh, a similar book and it's super depressing, but super accurate. It's like, oh shit, they did do that, didn't they? And that did put them in a really good position. They definitely outmaneuvered us. But yeah, so good times there. Uh, I'm reading uh, a book by Max Boot called "Small: The Savage Wars of Peace, Small Wars, and the Rise of American Power." Basically, about all the small conflicts the United States has been in since the founding to now, and how those wars how we waged those conflicts and what that did remember the alamo and what that did for uh the united states as a whole as well as you know we went into afghanistan and iraq saying we don't know how to rage these guerrilla wars well it turns out most wars we fought have been against guerrillas so when did we lose all that knowledge i feel like there's a richard nixon joke or john f kennedy joke there but i'm not smart enough to make it yeah probably i mean i i'm struggling too but i it's on the tip of my tongue well, how do you how are you enjoying the book so far? Oh, it's really good. I I highly recommend it, especially uh, when foreign policy and foreign conflicts are very much in the the talking point of the world right now. And this is why we open every 
most podcasts with a history of what we're talking about because you can't understand where you're going until you know where you've been. And uh, yeah, really, really points a, a different picture, paints a different picture of the American military just as a sheer force of, of how much we've done. You know, it's not, you know, in fifth grade, I had to memorize 32 dates of all the conflicts and wars America's been involved in. And that's maybe like 20% of what we've done as a country. But we're told to believe, though, these are these are the big ones. Here's, this is only what's important. But it's the small moves here and there that have led to these larger scale policies and, and stuff. And it's just, it's a, it's a it should be required reading for all high schools, I think. Well, I'm going to have to steal the book from you. Such wild ratings from it. I'm going to have to steal that book from you. I I I highly recommend it. And I think, I really do think this this is a book that belongs in a high school history class. It belongs in a museum. <laughs> it belongs in a museum. <laughs> uh, well, with that being said, I hope we've introduced some things to the fashion world. Again, fashion world's very in-depth. It's, what, the third highest trading in the entire world fifth i mean we can't fifth yeah it's absolutely ridiculous on how much money how many things are involved how many moving pieces but a lot of what's ahead of is is just petroleum yes <laughs> oil and money makes the world go round and with that being said unfortunately but as always thank you all for listening